Have you ever noticed that if you ask 10 people what corporate diversity and inclusion means, you'll get 10 different answers? We invite you to join us for the Inclusion Score podcast as we discuss the standardization of corporate diversity and inclusion. I'm Karen Prater Jasmine, Chief Data Officer at Inclusion Score. And I'm James Felton Keith, CEO at Inclusion Score. We'll meet with leading experts, academics, diplomats, and business people about how to methodologically deliver corporate inclusivity across your organization's governance, HR, product delivery, and supplier diversity. Let's focus on getting DNI right, because if you've worked where we've worked over the years, you know that a bad system beats good intentions any day. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Welcome, welcome back to Inclusion Square, everybody. Uh, this week is a special recording. We're still trying to answer some of the most pressing questions that came out of this latest cohort of certified ISO 30415 diversity and inclusion professionals. Uh, as we wrap up the course for the year, some of these questions just can't be ignored. And so what we're gonna try to do is disguise the voice of this question uh, per the class, but I can tell you it's from a very high-ranking individual that is suited to implement diversity and inclusion protocols at one of the largest states in the United States of America. Uh, so we hope that you enjoy and, uh, and learn something new. Working at the executive level of state government as the DEI officer, I have direct knowledge that the human resources director is an antagonist in all efforts to integrate diversity initiatives. The employee resource group members feel unheard and frustrated that they are asked to help create policies that affect their communities and improve the agency's standing with compensation or promotional opportunities. Any policy, initiative, change, or suggestions it seems must be ran by leadership first. While some prominent leaders are on board, others are laggards and others punish those who champion D, E, I, work or are allies. So where do you begin to audit or receive support across all the programs within the agency? The culture they have tried to cultivate for the last six years has not caught on. And the team who leads that work is also facing burnout. All right, now on to the fun part. So I'm gonna answer her questions in four parts. I've got four answers, but I'm gonna start where she left off with employee resource groups. Employee resource groups or ERGs or business resource groups, what we often call BRGs, are your auxiliary support team. They are strictly an advisory board. And I think a lot of companies create these groups and think that the work of DNI is done, but it's really just started. And this is some of the necessary internal infrastructure, as we call it, per the standard, that companies can use to keep their intentionality or intentional documentation that they push around the actual business, they can keep it honest. Right? And so if you think about your org chart, if you will, around DNI, and you listen to the last podcast that we did on this topic, we talked about who's responsible for the ISO standard. And we identify either chief diversity officer, chief inclusion officer, equity inclusion officer, whatever your company's calling it, there's a person seated in the middle, and to your right are the functional leads of your business. And per the standard, they fit into three categories. 
procurement or supplier diversity, first. Second is product delivery. And third is human resources. So those are the folks on, on your right. On your left are your support groups, your employee resource groups who can look at intentional documentation that the actual function of your business is deploying to keep it honest, to say, yes, this represents the, you know, the Asian Pacific Islander community, the disabled community, the LGBT community, you name it, right? And even if they identify that the intentional policy does not meet, you know, or is, or is not up to their standard, right, we can start to projectize per the standard growth into uh, meeting the the criteria, the rigor that the employee resource group would insist on having within that institution, right? It creates an active dialogue between the business and the advisory board. I think it is, or at least we think and we see in practice that firms are most effective when there's a lead DNI person, whether they're called chief diversity officer or something else. But there's a lead DNI person in between the the advisory boards of the world and all the external noise to our organizations and the functional leads who both buy products per supplier diversity from others that both deliver whatever our product or service is regardless of what our institution does and last but not least that manage the people flow of things and human resources so there's a way to use employee resource groups properly and it must be to use them as advisory boards first. Second answer. I know that it can be difficult to see management level leaders implement policies that have been designed by the DNI personnel, the DNI officer, right? But the mere existence of intentional policy, these are one or two pagers that would amend any sort of existing policy in the area, whether it's, again, specific to procurement or product delivery or human resources. The mere existence of that documentation allows one to put a timeline on response to that documentation. It could be a week from now, it could be a year from now, but in doing that, the employee resource groups, which we talked about earlier, which a firm would use as its, or a DNI leader would use as its uh, support group, can leverage themselves to hold those functional managers accountable and really insist on responses per the dates that are placed on ratifying intentionality in the internal documentation, right? So you start to see them playing off of each other uh, and where some managers across the organization may move fast and some may move slower for a variety of reasons. It could be based on their prerogative and their want to participate. It could also be based on their perception of their ability to facilitate change management, right? And therein lies the work, the back and forth between that lead DNI person, the functional level managers, and the advisory boards who are looking on to make sure that uh, quality of work and intentionality and real plans towards inclusivity are delivered. Answer three. So when thinking about an organization, whether it's a government, a for-profit company, a large non-for-profit, a small entity, any sort of entity, it is necessary to think about delivering DNI or delivering diversity and inclusion as we would any other business process. So in every other process, 
that we've been able to itemize and scale over the course of the past 40 years in particular, we have tried to automate and gamify even. And if you're not familiar with the term gamify, it means there's an active engagement or pinging of responsible parties to participate. I think that the more we can get an institution addicted to automation in an area, even diversity and inclusion, the more likely it is to gradually progress in that discipline. Now, before 2021, or really before today, right, it was impossible to automate and streamline DNI because we didn't have a global consensus around what DNI means. But now we do. And just like every other industry where we spent decades coming together as a global community of leaders and policymakers to agree ar around what a thing is, uh, even as we change that thing over the years, that starts from a process of documentation and change management. Now we're in that place with DNI and implementing technologies like Inclusion Score uh, for a company to actively project manage itself through growth so that it can see metrics of trials and triumphs, successes and failures is critical to ensuring that you can, as a DNI leader, communicate northbound to whoever pays your check and southbound to folks that you're interacting with to show where the work is left to be done. So I would suggest, even if you don't have a technology like an inclusion score on hand, to do what we used to do back in the day, you know, to use spreadsheets of sorts to say, here are, you know, things that are complete, here's work in pro process, excuse me, work in process, uh, and also here's work that, that is yet to be done, right? So again, building out a methodology of constant critique and constant change management will allow a DNI leader to communicate both to the business, you know, on on one side of them and to the employee resource groups and support organizations on the other side of them what progress looks like to create a dialogue for actual pro progress. I think it is increasingly important that we approach diversity and inclusion in the way we did information technology service management 20 years ago or the way that we approached accounting and quality control 40 years ago or the way that we approached manufacturing 70 years ago where we'll start with an imperfect process and gradually critique and grow ourselves what we need in the modern day is an active trigger system to go back and revisit where we can make progress and who should be responsible for executing and or what we would call delivering that progress fourth answer I think that the last but not least thing that we can do, and per the original question from this woman working in state government, is ask the financial question of our organization. I think often when we talk about DNI, and I've heard this from so many leaders, decision makers, you know, budget controlling people, and they ask, you know, are we doing this work because it gives us a warm fuzzy, because it's the right thing to do at the end of the day, or they're real savings? And I would say for whoever that DNI leader is, if they don't have any interaction with the chief financial officer or folks in that rung, they should start to try to. And they basically want to ask a few questions. Number one is, do you know how our organization is insured? You want to ask if we have 
directors and officers insurance, if we have errors and omissions insurance, we want to ask if we have employment practice liability insurance, all of these types of insurance policies turn into claims when employees and or external stakeholders uh, file how they might be disgruntled with us as an institution. Again, whether we're a for-profit institution, government, nonprofit, it doesn't matter. Everything is a corporation if it exists and everything can have civil legal damages tied to it if it exists. And I think the reason you ask these questions of your financial staff is because you have to make the effort of DNI into what it actually is, which is a number. It is a financial uh, entity that needs to be managed within your broader organization. And the way you do that is by talking to the CFO and explain to them that the money that they spend in payouts, grievances, and settlements, or in the threat thereof, the money that they spend for risk transfer products like insurance to engage those is a number that should be included in the include, excuse me, in the overall DNI category. And you couple that with another big number, corporate turnover, and then you couple that with the money that you're spending on HR to chase down all the incidents. When you put those three together, that's a better worldview of your institution's DNI spend. Right now, those three numbers are not tied to each other. And so an entity doesn't really have the ability to look at engaging people as a risk mitigation strategy. Right now, they're not using the word risk specific to DNI, and that's a problem. It's because for governments and for-profit corporations alike, they're not seeing the DNI effort as something critical to their bottom line, like delivering products and services from people who are happy to be there and will not disrupt your spend on delivering those products and services by taking care of them being disgruntled just through working with other folks in your organization. Right. We want to communicate to firms how to better manage that. And so I would also always, excuse me, start with engaging the C-suite executives at your firm about the real financial implications of failing to get inclusivity right. Right. Even when we stumble upon firms, and I've seen this from human resources surveys, from sentiment analysis that asks a broader employee body, how much do you care about diversity and inclusion? And at a lot of corporations in aggregate, we see about 25, a little bit under that, 24 or so percent of people at organizations care. But those 24% are the 24% that's going to sue you. And they're going to grow. And the reason that number is going to grow is because minority bar associations in particular, the women, the black groups, the Latino, Latine groups, the LGBT bar associations, you name it, they're starting to see an opportunity, especially for smaller entrepreneurial um, attorneys to represent, even on contingency, individuals when they leave their employer. You know, the new slogan that I hear in all the biggest cities of the world, uh, not just New York City, but you know, the LA's and Chicago's and London's and Paris's and even the Houston's and Atlanta's and you know, Mumbai even and Johannesburg. The new lingo that we're hearing is never leave your employer without a lawyer, right? So there's going to be a real market-based incentive for chief financial officers and the like to get diversity and inclusion right. 
mainly because as the as the working body becomes younger and younger and more aware of their rights, or at least the financial implications of them talking about their rights, we see this market growing and becoming a real financial adversary to the old world of one and done diversity and inclusion project. And so I think the way a lead DNI person, a chief diversity officer, whatever they're being called, to participate is to say we're going to implement a streamlined process of intentionality. We won't be perfect tomorrow. We won't be perfect in two years, but we will build a five-year strategy to ensure that we at least have some infrastructure across corporate you know, governance, human resources, product delivery, and supplier diversity to ramp up intentional policies that both help engage our employees and show them that there's hope and how this place can get better, but also protect us from uh, individuals or institutions that would seek to uh, hit us for, you know, civil suits uh, by showing them what our real intentions are, right? And so it it helps both ways. But the in in the real world, what we see is just the very interaction, the trading of documentation of paper with language of intended consequences of DNI initiatives starts off a chain reaction of implicating individuals that would be responsible for monitoring that growth and deploying all of the four project types that we always talk about at Inclusion Score, whether they be trainings, data extraction projects, internal infrastructure projects like employee resource groups, or external infrastructure projects like joining minority chambers of commerce or you know, given a certain social uh, or local causes, all of those projects can be categorized and deployed and delivered from functional level managers under the watchful eye of employee resource groups. And the way that you incentivize all of those folks to play, let's not even say play nicely in the sandbox, but just to start playing in the sandbox is through the documentation process. It provides the potential for accountability because the cat is out of the bag at that point. And that is how you take an organization that says that it wants to do DNI well, but can't, and start to incentivize them to actually do it well. You have to um, hold them all together via loosely designed intentional documentation and the potential that you will amend and clarify that documentation over time to make sure that it helps in better delivering inclusivity across the board, or should I say across the organization. So that's where we're leaving off for this, this particular episode and you know this particular question. Um, I say we're gonna try to answer some more questions uh, from the certification class and from the cohorts of 2022 uh, over the course of the coming weeks if you have any questions directly uh, feel free to email us uh, ping us under the podcast or you know send a message to our site or anywhere on social media we definitely want to try to get to as many of these as possible i'm going to say we're going to prioritize uh questions that have to do with the process of implement implementing or starting uh, to deliver DNI across a 
a complex organization because I, I do think that we're still at a point in time where folks are trying to wrap their heads around what means what so thank you uh, we hope that you enjoy we'll we'll see you next time folks thanks